Hello, and welcome to episode 99 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 15th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Good. How are you? Pretty good. We have a storm coming, apparently. And this is the weather portion. (laughs) (laughs) Got to do it. We had our heat wave, and now we're back to the fog. It's just sort of pleasant. Yeah, I love it. But then apparently there's rain coming from Alaska. We need it. We do. This is true. Away we go. So now that we've done our regular weather report, we will jump into all our regular segments. On the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. And we will do a little bingo wrap-up. Because it is done now, but we wanted to share our final thoughts and victories on that. So on the needles, fun times in my knitting world. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, you got to see. Sneak peek. So I I said I wasn't going to talk about Atlanta Cart by Hohi Locatelli, but I did want to say I did really finish it. The Pico bind off was much less troublesome than I expected except that her directions, which are usually so ideal, felt a little bit wonky. So I checked out some other ones and did a little bit of a mishmash, and it all ended up working out. It looks adorable. I still haven't blocked it. I did weave the ends in, so that was was progress. And I really should have done the blocking when it was, you know, 80 degrees here. But... (laughs) But I didn't. I decided to wait till the fog came back in. Because it is going to be a process, because it has the the pico edging so little little bumps that need to be pulled out and put into shape and shawls are just generally a little more a little more work than Fiddly. say a sweater yeah and i have i have all the tools it just takes time to sit down and do it and last week was quite busy but it's beautiful and i showed you that cool stitch that's on the edging it feels i guess it's sort of like a cable cross but with drop stitches and it doesn't weave back and forth like a, a regular cable would. So it's very interesting. Super fun pattern. Highly recommend. I almost thought about making another one. Because do you remember we bought those? We, I bought those three skeins of yarn from, hmm, shocking, Neighborhood Fiber Company at Stitches. There was a colorway I was looking at, and we we're trying to find something that would match it. And then I found two that matched it really well. And we said, oh, I guess I I need to buy all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there thinking... Is shades of... I think one was I think one was that green that you were loving. Oh yeah. And one was this like purple and then one was a multicolor variegated business to tie so, them together. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there are plenty of three-color shawls out there. I'm sure I can find something else. But this was a really fun pattern. So, we shall see. In progress, still working on the socks. I have gotten to the heel of the first one where I'm actually turning the heel. So I need to sit down and do that because one cannot do that at, say, the symphony (laughs) because one needs directions. So I did actually start the second sock by just starting it, grabbing another pair of needles and taking the yarn from the outside of the cake and sort of put the other sock in the bottom of my project bag and turn the cake upside down. So hopefully it will stay there. And then I'm pulling the yarn from the outside because the beginning of the sock is pretty easy and mindless as well. So does anyone at the symphony ever scoff at you for knitting? Oh, I had a guy ask me to put it away once. I think he was just cranky and annoying and thought I was being disrespectful. 
And I didn't want to argue with him about him because he, he waited until it started. So I couldn't really have a conversation about how back off, dude. Right. And then he spent the whole time like sniffling and coughing. So that was super fun. Appreciated that. But other than that, no one really cares. I, I'm always curious when you say that you were I like I want to knit in places like that. I, especially the bonsai auction, oh my word, yeah. which is totally socially acceptable to be knitting in that thing when you're a, yeah, like there a was, partner in crime. But That seems fair. There was a thing on Twitter recently, some newspaper had posted a woman who was knitting at the US Open, the tennis thing that was happening recently. And apparently, and the, and the, the quote in the paper was, she was knitting hilariously. And all the knitters are like, A, how do you do that? <laughs> Like, what does that mean? And do you just think it's funny? And people were commenting because she was in fairly pricey seats. I mean, I think all of this, it was a yeah, like a semi-final game. You know, it was a expensive endeavor. So people were making fun of her for knitting at this event. And all the, the knitters were saying, well, it's stockinette. She can do it while she's watching the game. Also, tennis, really long event. Could be kind of boring. And the other, my other thought, and nobody actually made this thought, was that when Tom Daly was knitting at the freaking Olympics, everyone was like, oh, you're amazing. Right. I'm not saying it's the patriarchy, but it's a little bit the patriarchy. Right. Anyway, that's a different topic. So my socks, yes, good for the symphony. I will say I have not quite gotten to the point where I can knit like at a movie theater where it's totally black because I do occasionally still drop stitches and then it gets totally messed up. And that, in my case, would be hysterical knitting <laughs> to see what I came out of a dark movie theater. That's true. With. That's true. Yeah. And the, I, I usually knit with magic loop. So those first couple are a little bit tricky sometime to get going. So it's it's not not without dangers to knit in the dark. I can technically do it, but it it's sometimes a little wonky. So... I need a little bit of light. The symphony lighting is usually a bit better than, say, a movie theater. But some people can can knit any place and with no light at all. So more power to them. But I think knitting at a tennis match, totally fine. I think knitting at the symphony is totally fine. Yeah. And I'm a music person and and it's like it works for me. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. I've also sort of been working on my Elton cardigan. I finally picked up for the sleeves and realize that my sleeve opening is probably too small. Oh no. So I'm a little bit frustrated and it's sitting in timeout while I ponder what I'm going to do. Yeah. So like I picked up the stitches and I picked up all of the stitches I possibly could because often um, when you're picking up along a vertical line, you don't pick up every single stitch. It's usually like Three out of four, two out of three, depending on what works for you. I picked up every single one that I could, and I still had the number of stitches that I should have by the time I finished decreasing. <laughs> so I'm thinking I might, I might block the whole thing, see if that loosens things up enough. Because sometimes the sleeve opening can be too big, so it might end up being okay. We shall see. Otherwise, I might just have to abandon the whole thing, which would be sad. Stay tuned. However, other projects are going very well. A new mystery gnome is in the works. Choose Your Gnome Adventure by Sarah Shira. This is the 10th mystery gnome along. Oh my gosh. I know. I have not done all of them, but I do have several gnomes. This is, I don't know, my seventh? Mm, 
something like that. Yeah. And I I mean, because I've done other ones as gifts. So I have more. No, I have done more gnomes than there are mystery. Mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery gnomes that I have participated in because she started doing it before I started doing the gnomes. So that's where we are. But this one is super fun because, as you may have guessed from the title, it is a choose your own adventure kind of gnome. So there are there were five pattern choices for the hat. You could do it with different size yarn. So if you wanted there, I guess there are people that want to make giant gnomes. And so they can do that. So she has it with, you know, fingering weight and two different sizes or worsted weight, or you could do bulky. We've had two clues. There were about five options for each clue, plus all the yarn sizes, plus color choices. So super fun. It's, it's more than just one pattern, really. There are many options. So I'm definitely envisioning some other gnomes that I might make for gifts and trying out the different patterns. So I am using my leftover yarn from my Atlantic heart because it was out, (laughs) quite frankly, and I had plenty of it left. And then I didn't have to go digging around and I could use up some more of this yarn. And for some reason, my first, I don't know, four or five gnomes all ended up having pink in them. So now I've kind of been making a conscious choice to continue having pink yarn in my gnomes. Various different shades of pink. I've got magenta and light pink and mauvey and all sorts of things. So the easier to see them in the garden, frankly, you know, if they're wearing pink. Right. Yeah, sure. That's what it is. So yeah, so this one is fun. Uh, You know, it is still a work in progress. So I don't want to say too much about the actual pattern. I think next time it will all be done and all the clues will be revealed so I can talk a little bit more in depth. I loved those choose your own adventure books. I yeah, they're I great. Think they were so satisfying and I can't wait to see the actual gnome and you can talk about what choices you made. You know, yes. different divergent and seeing it compared to the other fleet of Yeah, it is interesting if you go into the Ravelry thread and you can see what people have been choosing there are definitely two top choices, one of which was what I chose and one of which is was my second choice <laughs> and which I am probably going to do for another gnome later. As I said, I have plans, but it's very exciting. And I will say I actually did make some alternate choices. It's a three color gnome and you use colors one and two for or these the patterns that I chose are supposed to use colors one and two for the hat and colors two and three for the body. But my color that I'm planning. One of my colors is a little, is, I think I've mentioned it, is a brown with black or beigey with black spots, which would blend in too much with my just black. So I made some other choices with my gnome because I can do that because I am the boss of my knitting. So I think it'll be cute anyway. But I did see some of the people who followed the pattern and it does look really extra stinking cute. So I love that you have this whole gnomey thing going. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting here thinking, what what would be the equivalent of like a thing for me to knit like that? And look at the pattern that I just found. Oh, Little knitted Matryoshka dolls. Those are adorable. Is it, it actually knitting? Uh-huh. Wow. That's, that's a possibility. Hmm. They're a little simpler than your gnomes, I think, which might be a good thing for me. I mean, the gnomes are pretty simple. Are they? Yeah. They look complicated. They're not, though. Ah. She has a lot of videos for every step of the process, so I think that helps, too. And they're mostly just straight knitting. Fun. 
Yes, indeed. And then finally, I started on my A Garden Wedding Shawl by Andrea Rangel with the kit yarn from Gage Dye Works in the Merino Worsted. It's amazing. It is amazing. Oh my gosh. So it is a giant squishy shawl with cables and lace and color work in worsted weight yarn. And I got the small version and it's still going to be pretty giant. And there is a large version, which I did not get. Gage Dye Works does amazing work. So you got four skeins of the worsted weight yarn and together they form a gradient. But even within each skein, it is a gradient. It's super subtle. It's this gorgeous blue, kind of denim-y, I mm-hmm. think we could say. Medium blue. goes from light to dark. It's a pretty subtle It's super subtle. Gradation. Yeah. You don't even really notice it as you're knitting, just when you look at the actual well when you could see it within the four skeins when they arrived and you can see it in the project but you don't really notice it as it's happening and it's in fact so subtle that she at the beginning of each skein dyed it in a totally contrasting color so started off with pink the second skein that you use has a little bit of orange at the beginning so you know which order to use the skeins in Mm. and where to start like if you start at the opposite end you're going to end up backwards. And then, so it's cables and lace for most of the body. And then along the edge is a flower color work section. And it's, it's just going to be gorgeous. And you could totally do it with your own worsted weight yarn. The pattern is available on its own. So you could use your own worsted weight yarn. Doesn't have to be the gradient. And then just using scraps for the the color work. And I think it would be fantastic. And I can't wait to see when someone does that. I think it'll be totally amazing. But I am so enjoying this. I am super focused on this project, partially because I think if I put it down, I won't ever pick it up. But the cables are so addictive. They're really well done. They completely make sense. So it's pretty easy to to keep going with it and to not have to think too, too much. I do have to pay attention, obviously, to make sure I'm doing the right cable. They're mostly two by two. There's a couple of three by two. And then making sure they're going in the correct direction. There is also the problem of stopping to hold up the work and admire how beautiful the cables are. And then there's like flower <laughs> leaf designs in between the cables. It is just amazing. I don't, I like how does someone design that? I just don't even know. It's just, it's, it's just delightful. What a cool project. Yeah. So that's my knitting. And I'm still, still pondering sweater options for next. But this is, I mean, four skeins of worsted weight. It's basically I'm knitting a sweater. Right. It's so a lot. I'm trying not to cast anything else on right now. Okay. What is on the easel? Well, I took in some art, some local exhibits and happenings here. I went and saw the Diego Rivera exhibit at SF MoMA and that was, oh my gosh, it was so crowded. It kind of gave me the, it's kind of my first post-COVID actual event. And there were lots of people there. They require masks. So that helped, but it was still pretty crowded. Huge exhibit. Uh, lots of his preliminary sketches right next to a finished piece. And that for me is very satisfying. That's always so interesting. It is because you could definitely tell which pieces he was working out values versus which pieces he was working out composition and where he had changed things a lot. And I thought it was fascinating. And it was really interesting to see some of his portraits and how his faces are, I mean, a lot of his work was murals, right? So 
everything could be scaled up. And they were more like, not generic people, but they weren't really individual portraits. They were more the common Mexican worker, the common Mexican mother. And so being able to scale that up to a mural wouldn't, you know, they had the, the I hate to say generic, but it, it kind of felt that way looking at all of his wasn't like anything distinctive about any one of them, which I think was his point. And I have this really funny story about, he, he also designed these costumes and I can't remember what the event was, but he designed this banana costume that the base of the banana costume was like a knitted, a really open weave knitted sheath and it was green. And then the bananas were like a canvas and they were top stitched with like a blanket stitch. Very satisfying to see this whole thing on display. So here is the, here's the banana costume replete oh, with. That was not at all what I was expecting. Oh, it's almost, it's more like a tree almost like they're hanging on the tree. Yeah. Including the banana leaf headdress yeah. type thing. Okay. Wow. Okay. So then. I had gone to the show with a cousin and her uncle, and we had such a great time. And then a couple days later, I opened my email, and Amazon has sent me, like, you know how Amazon says, oh, you're looking for notebook paper? Here's other things that you might need. I have no idea why Amazon sent this to me, but they sent me a banana caftan. <laughs> wow. And it is banana yellow. Yes, it is. And it has like epaulette banana fingers on the shoulders, deep v-neck. It is actually kind of cool. <laughs> if it weren't a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars or something. Oh, pick up one for each of us, please. Really, right? I just think it's creepy and excellent, <laughs> if that can be said. Yes. Anyway, then... We had the brush show opening over at the Compound Gallery. Monica and our friend Telly came to see the opening, and it was so exciting to have people there for for me. And that was kind of crowded. It was a little smaller scale than Diego Rivera, but it was kind of crowded too. Um, but amazing experience to be with the group who submitted to the brush show and to see that collection of work. There were some really interesting pieces it was fantastic. It was super fun. Thank you. I'm going to put a link to that so you can see the breadth of projects that people put together for the brush show. Have you made it to the couture one at the Legion of Honor no. yet, which they extended? You need to go. Okay. You need to go. As a sewist, you need to go because it's amazing. And now I feel like I need to make a banana dress, a banana <laughs> caftan. Okay, I will add it to my list. Because speaking of museums, I rejoined the Cal Academy of Science. Ah, interesting. When our kids were little, we all had memberships because we would do anything in our power to tire these children out. Yes. And, you know, educate their minds and all that good stuff. But it's been years since I was a member there. And now that... COVID things are sort of lifting. They've opened their naturalist center where there's thousands of specimens. And I went and reignited my membership and spent four hours drawing in the naturalist center. Oh, cool. Like ask questions of the... Is that the upstairs library mm -hmm. kind of thing? Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Really, really worthwhile. 
I was hoping to draw the dinosaur skeleton right in the lobby, but they have a mask on his face, and really all I wanted was his skull. Uh. So I'm hoping that they'll, I don't know if they'll take that off for me, but probably not. It's really high up. Yeah. (laughs) I have two commissions that I have been working on. One is underway, almost done. The other one was this super fun set of flashcards for a children's choir where their warm-up noises match an animal noise. And so the four that I've done so far are an owl for the hooting, a coyote for the howling, a cat for the meowing, and a dog, I think, for the barking. That probably makes sense. These were really fun to draw. I love wild animals, so I thought that was going to be easier for some reason. But the cat and dog came out so great. So I've been sharing those on Instagram. What kind of dog? It is, I think it's a St. Bernard. Nice. And then the cat is my friend Kelly's cat, Pippa, because I needed a cat in a certain position and and her cat <laughs> kind of kind of fit the bill. Aww. That's adorable. That That is kind of a, oh, very nice. That's a St. Bernard, right? No. No? I don't think so. I don't, the ears don't look St. Bernardy. An owl? That's an owl. Coyote. Did you post that one recently? I did. I posted that. Yeah, I thought I just saw that. And last time we chatted, I promised that I would talk about my acrylic process. Yes. And I have only painted once with acrylic since we last talked. Oh. But I did make a note to myself to really think about what would be interesting for listeners because I've been talking for four years, I've been talking about gouache and maybe a little bit of watercolor. So I really, I don't want it to be slapdash and I'm trying to bring what's meaningfully different and interesting about it. I was going to say you could talk about it next time, but that's going to be our 100th episode. Can we can we jump in and remind yeah, people to send in to. questions? You have like a week, people. We will be recording episode 100 on September 29th. So, so if you have burning questions, yeah. let us know. I think that 100 episodes is incredible. And I know there are people out there with many, many more episodes, but they have sponsors and stuff like that. <laughs> this is us making a really concerted effort to show up and and share what's going on. And we, I'm sure we've missed something. I'm sure that we have dropped the ball or forgotten a detail. And if you're curious, ask us and we will chime in with those stories or details that you've been burning to know about. Yes. And thank you to those of you that have already asked questions because they are great and we have been chatting about them and trying not to answer them all amongst ourselves Yeah, (laughs) and ruin all our stories. We're trying to save our spontaneity for the... 100th episode. Yes. But it's hard because we like talking, (laughs) as you may have noticed. Anyway, at some point, you will get to your process. I'm making notes about it and we'll share it as we go forth. Yeah. No, it seems like a thing that should be addressed in depth. Absolutely. What have you been cooking? On the table, yes. I made the garlic parmesan roasted carrots, which were delicious. And I don't really like carrots. Hooray. That, Don't they have a good texture? They do. And that crispy coating Yum. on the outside, I didn't think it would work because they cook for a while. I mean, they're big chunks of carrots. I might next time make it a little bit smaller. They were they were maybe a little bit underdone 
which is a me problem. If I, I recall, mine were a little al dente as well. Yeah. So I feel like maybe if we made them a little bit smaller chunks, it would work better. Because I was concerned, they do cook for a while. And with the Parmesan in there, I was afraid it would just get burnt. But it didn't. It just got crispy and delicious. And yeah, I was super happy with them. Yay. So that link will be in the show notes again, because yeah, definitely worth a try. Super easy. I mean, the peeling of the carrots was probably the hardest part. This is a great recipe if you have vegetable reluctant children. And although mine are taller than me, they are still relatively vegetable reluctant. And they loved them. And then <laughs> I, spoiler alert, did my final bingo square and cooked from a book. So as I was planning, I made these delicious shortbread cookies from Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall, which was, I guess, semi-cheating because it was an actual recipe in the back of the book. Or maybe no, not. No, that's squarely. I mean, it is. But you could have you could have just said somebody had spaghetti and made spaghetti. So that would have been totally fair. You did not need an actual recipe. But it was there. And I loved the book. And it sounded really delicious. So that's- perfect. So I did. I mean, also, you can do whatever you want. We don't really take notes. (laughs) So shortbread cookies with a Bailey's buttercream in between. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Really rich. (laughs) Very delicious. (sighs) Yeah, so good. I would maybe make them smaller next time. Where did you find this recipe? In Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake. Okay. It was in the back of the book. That was the recipe. Oh, yeah. So she is on a baking show. And in throughout the show, they talk, you know, it's like the great British Bake Off, which starts next week on Netflix. This week, next week, very soon. Check your Netflix. They're there to celebrate our 100th episode. Apparently so. So anyway, so the, the book, the story is she's on a great British Bake Off type show. So every week she has to make something and they talk about what she's making. And this is one of the ones that they talk about. And then they put some of the recipes in the back of the book. So the official name is Rosalind's Other Cream Liquors Are Available Shortbreads. Because when you're on a show like that, you can't use the brand names, I guess. So she wasn't allowed to say they're Bailey's Shortbreads. But that's what it is. The Bailey's Irish Cream. So I did have to go out and buy a bottle of that. It is actually a very delightful winter drink to have a little sip after dinner. Very fabulous. So it's not going to go to waste. They were super simple. And I made them gluten-free as well. And they worked quite well. I would possibly make them a little smaller. I think my dough was not as thin as it could have been. But then it might have been too crumbly. But then I used like a juice glass to cut them out because I don't have, I mean, I don't think I have cookie cutters anymore. I used to have all sorts of fun shapes and stuff. And I don't, I don't know where they are now. So they were a pretty good, good size cookie with all the buttercream and the Baileys in there. It was, it was a hit. I think my husband would absolutely, he loves shortbread and he loves Bailey's. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a link in the show notes as well. <laughs> or you can read the book. It's a fabulous book. And then quickly, I want to say I made the three bean chili from Weeknight Vegetarians. I know we've talked about this book and you should all have bought it already and made everything in it. This one was fantastic. Obviously, if you really needed to, you could probably add some ground meat to it, but it really didn't need it. It was so good. Even even my boy enjoyed it. So try that one out. But then the new recipe for me was an easy brown rice risotto with mushrooms 
from Cookie and Kate. I was feeling very uninspired and decided to go back to that website and see what I could find. I wanted something kind of simple. It's September, so I was feeling sort of fallish. I didn't feel like doing any work. <laughs> so risotto. And this one you make with brown rice, which was a little different, but worked fine. And it's baked in the oven. Ooh. So very nice. You saute the mushrooms separately and put them in at the end. You add a lot of liquid at the end, so it gives it that. You're basically baking the rice, and then you add the liquid. And it seemed to work. I mean, and a risotto purist would probably be appalled. I found it totally delicious, very easy. I was concerned about the amount of wine and tamari that you were throwing in at the end for the flavor. So I added about half of the wine to the mushrooms and cooked it down and add some of the tamari soy sauce into the mushrooms as well to give those more a hit of a flavor. Otherwise, I was just worried it would just taste like wine. How'd they come out? It was good. It was delicious. So you Very know, flavorful mushrooms. I know you're on a... I'm on a mushroom mission. thing. Mi- mushroom mission. Yep. And the predominant research that I have come across thus far says... Well, I did see that one thing recently that said to boil your mushrooms before you saute them. Which, I mean, that's not going to happen, but... Right. But also that as soon as they release their moisture, you should introduce your flavor so that it absorbs it. Mm-hmm. Like once it's already sweated its moisture. Interesting. Off. Okay. I'm telling you. They're tricky, those fungi. They are. Uh, yes, that's what's on my table. Excellent. Wish I was here for that mushroom risotto. I'm having it for lunch today, too. So when you were talking about the cake book, the so-and-so, the cook from a cook... The, oh, the the romance with The food. romance. <laughs> Rosalind Palmer takes the cake. And I was thinking it's a cake recipe at the end. And then I was surprised when it wasn't a cake oh, recipe. No, it's so cookies. my bad. I didn't mean to sound like I wasn't paying attention. Okay. The food at my house this week. Well, the last two weeks. So for Labor Day, I did some fun appetizers because I had to finish up a bingo square. That was my very last one. Did you make the deviled eggs? I made the deviled eggs. (sighs) So good. I should have come over for that. And we just like had them casually. (laughs) As one does. Oh, I'm just having a deviled egg. Yeah. But they're, they're just, they're not casual to make. It's a process. Yeah. And we were building like a built-in closet in the meantime. And oh. so we couldn't both be in there. And so I said, I'm going to go make some deviled eggs. And I feel like no one's going to argue with that if you tell them that's what you're going to go to do. Right. And then while I was deviling eggs, I also made pigs in blankets. Nice. Pigs, pigs in blankets. That's what it's called. I had this recipe from, I want to say it's from, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I totally don't remember. Look in the show notes, people. But they had this awesome hot mustard dipping sauce, too. Mm. So puff pastry, super simple. I got the little fork in the road dogs from Whole Foods so that they were healthy. Exactly. People. Yeah. Important. Uh-huh. Little egg wash, rolled them up, and then did the Trader Joe's everything bagel seasoning on top. Mm. Cheat. Cheat and cheat, all three. But I did from puff pastry, though. It's pretty. It's easy. not really cheating to use store bought. Really? I mean, I suppose technically. Technically, but even is. on baking shows, 
everyone whines about having to make puff pastry right. because nobody it's, does that. It's so accessible. But I did from scratch make the mustard sauce, which was so, Ooh. so good with it. And so we were not hungry at dinner time because we had uh, deviled eggs and pigs in blankets. And I had a caprese salad on the side, too. That was that was our Labor Day snacky array. Then the only other new-ish recipe that I pulled together was this street chicken from Smitten Kitchen, the second Smitten Kitchen, which, people, good news, Smitten Kitchen has a new cookbook coming out in the beginning of October. Pre-order it now. I thought it was Thanksgiving. I thought it was October. I hope it's October. That would be nice because that's, like, momentarily. Yeah. The second cookbook is my favorite. And this one has the the street chicken recipe. Is it with the yellow rice? Or is it a different one? It is with a like a chicken stock rice. And I forget, I didn't make it with the rice because I had a different side for it. But this is a really nicely seasoned chicken breast. I cut them in half, you know, slice them in half so that they were nice and thin. And I did pound them out so they'd cook fast. And it's a fair bit of garlic, lemon, but the real winner for me is that it calls for clove, ground clove, and I love that flavor, especially in the fall. Super fast to cook up in a skillet and very easy, very easy. So that's one that I'll repeat at some point. And I think I might have made that one and it was really delicious. Yeah, it's it's really easy. I had never made it before. was excited to... November 22nd. Oh, no. But then people can can give it to you for a holiday. Well, then you'd have to wait an extra month. I'm not waiting. Yeah, no. I already pre-ordered it. Oh, yeah. So that's what's on my table. So on the nightstand, so many books. Shocking. Three audio mysteries. The first two are book twos in their series, Telling Tales by Anne Cleves and Full Moon by Jim Butcher. And I was kind of disappointed in both of them for various reasons. Full Moon was fine, but... It was about werewolves, and it was a little too graphic for me. That's a me problem. Your mileage might vary. The mystery and the humor and all that was pretty much the same. This is the one with the wizard who solves mysteries in Chicago, and this one involved vampires. And then Telling Tales is the second Vera Stano. It was pretty good. I'm still having issues with the way she has her women characters behave, and I might just need to move on. So we will see. Um, I did really enjoy The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman, which was also the second in a series. The third one just came out. I'm waiting for the audio to be released, which is on the 20th, I think. Are we there yet? No, a few more days. So this is a mystery series where our detectives are four people in their 70s and 80s who live in a retirement village and are hilarious and they get involved in murders and try and solve them and people don't take them seriously because they're older and it's hilarious. So in this one, the ex-husband of one of the women who is currently a spy, the woman used to be a spy, but she's retired, is coming to hide at their village because the mob thinks he stole their diamonds, which he actually did, but he isn't. (laughs) So there's there's some issues there. Um, And so she's supposed to be kind of watching out for him and looking for suspicious characters. And and then she's trying to find the diamonds. And it's a whole thing. I mean, there's the whole mystery, which is amusing. There's the relationships between all the characters, 
many beautiful scenes in this book. The 10-year-old grandson of one of the main characters comes to visit and is hanging out with one of the other main characters. So there's this beautiful senior-junior relationship going on. The relationships between the women friends and the the whole group is just really great. Every once in a while, he throws something in, and I think, that doesn't make... That's just in there for laughs. And it's not really how someone of that age would behave. There was this whole thing in the first book where none of them understood GPS. Like these people are my parents age. My parents understand GPS, the lack of knowledge of GPS just didn't make sense to me. So and so there were some things like that in this book that were just being played for laughs. But overall, the beauty of it, the woman who's the spy, her husband is currently experiencing dementia. And so that relationship is depicted in what feels to me a very sensitive and beautiful way. It's just, there's a lot of really good things in these books, plus, plus humor. So I really enjoy those. And I'm looking forward to the third one, which as I said, is just been released. And then apparently I'm in some sort of gothic (laughs) section of my life. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on, but all of these books are sort of mysterious and dark. Um, maybe it's it's that October is coming. So first is The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornicek, which is a retelling of a Norse myth of Angraboda, who was Loki's wife and the mother of three of his children who were sort of responsible for the end of the world. So it's a retelling from her viewpoint the story of how she gets involved with him and and her kids and what happens to them and how you can't avoid your fate. And I really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of retellings. I mean, depending on how they're done. I thought this one was interesting. Most of my knowledge of the Norse myths are from the Marvel universe. So you <laughs> had to kind of back off of that a little bit. I did do some stuff in college, but um, I, that was a while ago. So I've forgotten a lot of it. So it was interesting to do a little bit of a dive afterwards to see, you know, what she was basing it on. There's a lot of I guess this character appears in a lot of different myths, but just minor mentions. And then you have to kind of piece things together. And she has the whole, she has everybody, all Thor's in there and Loki and Odin and Frey and Freya and everybody's in there. So it was really interesting and very well done. And then Crossings by Alex Landrigan. The the pretense for this book is that uh, there is a bookbinder and he gets a document from a wealthy client that he's worked with for years. And she says, I want you to do this binding. I'll give you all the materials, but you're not allowed to read the book. Okay, Peachy Keen. He calls her a week later to discuss some of the details and finds out she has been murdered. So he ends up binding the book and kind of waiting to see if anybody collects it. And nobody does. So he finally reads it. And it's three separate documents, short stories, sort of related. The first is a short story by Charles Baudelaire, the French poet from the mid-1800s. Second is a sort of noir thriller set in Paris uh, right before the German occupation, told by a Jewish-German author. And the third is this sort of fantasy out of the Polynesian islands about soul-swapping. So he reads it, and then he gives his wife the book, and she notices a series of numbers at the beginning of the story and ends up reading the document following those numbers as pages and she ends up getting a totally different experience. And so you, as the reader, can choose to read it front to back or following the numbers. No way. So it's another choose co- your own adventure. It's a little bit choose your own adventure. So, so what that did was you fun. Do? I did both. 
<laughs> so I read it front to back first and then read it the other way, which was pretty fun and made it into more of a complete book. I don't know if it was totally necessary, but it's a fun conceit. And the story was really interesting on its own, no matter which, whichever way you read it. It was amusing. So that was Crossings by Alex Landrigan. And then the latest Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, daughter of Dr. Moreau, which is kind of a retelling, or mm, based on the island of Dr. Moreau, which the guy with the weird animals and hunting people and things. <laughs> so Carlotta is the daughter of Dr. Moreau. They're in the Yucatan in uh, late 1800s. Her father is doing experiments and making these hybrid animal people creations. People start to find out and they're trying to take him down and there's romance and all gothic and Mexican history. Fabulous. She's great. Go read all her books. And then The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean, which sounded really cool and lighthearted and, again, more gothic than I was expecting. <laughs> So the book eaters are people that living among us, but they survive by eating books. So they sort of live in their own world because they need to. They can only survive with each other. Super strong. They basically sound like vampires, but they eat books. Except that every once in a while, one of them is born and they They're get like... nourishment from human brains. Oh. So problematic. Our heroine, Devin Fairweather, her son is born. He's one of the mind eaters, and it ends up being sort of her quest to save him and escape from her family because it's all very patriarchal. When, when they eat the book, do they get all of the book's contents they in do. their body? Yeah. Forever? Yep. And when they eat the brains, do they get the brain's contents in their body? Yes. And like language ability and memories yeah. and all of that? Yeah. There Wild. are limits. They can't write and they're not really creative. Like they just have the knowledge, but they can't really apply it. Mm, so yeah. it, it's, it is limiting. And they also are very conservative group. So the boys are all raised on tales of Arthur and adventure and the girls get the princess fairy tales. That's kind of how it gets more darker aside from the the brain eating children part of the book but it was really it was it was really interesting it's a lot of what you would do for love and i'm not entirely sure that i fully agree with her conclusions but it was an interesting book and an exciting adventure and i enjoyed it very much and then finally woman of light by kali ferrado anston which you read last time right mm -hmm. yep which was funny because you offered to lend me the book and i said no i think i have that on my library request list and it was actually sitting on my nightstand at the time so so good you all should read this fantastic so the story of luz lopez i would say at its heart it's a just a coming of age story she's 18 she lives with her older brother and her aunt her best friend is her cousin who's planning her wedding and she's just trying to figure things out you know what does she want to do with her life she falls in love a couple times and she's trying to figure that out. The complication is that it's Denver in the 1930s and she is from a native Chicano family. So you get the background of all the racism and the poverty that her family is experiencing. Just the discrimination of like yeah. where they can shop and where they can work and who they, they ride can. the train. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Yeah. And I think. As white culture in this country, we we have sort of created this myth that there wasn't racism anywhere other than the South, which is just not true. And it's really important for us to be reminded that like the Klan was in Colorado. Right. 
And so it was it was an important book, but ultimately hopeful. Uh, you know, the the beauty, the relationships in that family are just gorgeous. The things she's going through, you know, are applicable to any 18-year-old, really. And this this was her debut, right? Her debut novel, I think? No, I think she had an earlier one. I think this oh, is her okay. second one. It took her 10 years to write this, so um, yeah. she hasn't, she's not writing books very quickly. But I think she did have another one. Although this maybe maybe this was a novel and the other one was... I don't hurt. recall, but I'm yeah. excited to read her, you know, whenever... No Rush, her forthcoming work. Yeah, this one was really beautiful. How about you? I have three great books for you. Excellent. Okay. The first one, The Many Daughters of A Fang Moi. Which is also sitting on my nightstand right now. It is. We have <laughs> we have a couple books in common. Somebody's marketing team is doing a bang up job. Yeah. This is by Jamie Ford, who wrote the book. At the Corners of Bitter and Sweet. Oh, which, I haven't read that one. You read that. Which yeah. I read last year and loved. Yeah. A surprising thing happened as I was reading this book. I was pretty knee deep in it and had to remind myself that the author was male. Hmm. Which, I don't know why that takes me by surprise sometimes. I think there was a really intimate moment and I thought to myself, oh, she nailed that. And then I looked and it was, oh yeah, that's not she. Anyway. So this this is a really interesting book. The structure is interesting. We're getting different perspectives. The oldest character is Feng Moi, who is from China. She has her feet bound, and she was supposed to be married off to a respectable elder gent, and to coin a phrase of Monica's, shenanigans ensue for generations, generational shenanigans. She is the first Chinese woman to come to America. She's widowed. And so she is put into kind of like Ringling Brothers because of her bound feet. And so they sell tickets for people to come and see her. And she's, you know, a curiosity or something. It's terrible. The following stories, and it's a very fragmented book, and you, you're jumping around time-wise and perspective-wise to her lineage, her um, female lineage. You have to read the whole thing to put all of the pieces together. The story arc goes from like foot binding to climate change. It's all really captivating and, or however, it depends on your, your willingness to suspend disbelief. The most modern day character, which is like 2040s, I think, in the Seattle area, she is doing this program to resurrect genetic memories because at that point they've discovered that your trauma can be inherited and so then all of the pieces of those other stories that we're getting are now carried by this woman in the 2040s and her daughter. And so that changes how you are reading the other story. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, it's a domino effect. And so. So it's kind of like woman of light as well. In a in way. Generational in way. trauma and memory. and Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting I had a kind of a hard time with the genetic memory resuscitation project or whatever it's called. That's not it. But I I thought some parts of it were incredibly well done. Stay tuned for my review. Okay, then 
I read Beasts of a Little Land by Juhei Kim. This is an epic novel, an entire detailed span of, I think it takes place over like 30 years, right through the Korean War. And it's told also in different perspectives and different stratums of Korean society, very poor to very wealthy or until the Japanese come and take everything away. That's very reductive of me, but you know what I'm saying. Like, they went through that period as well. There's some strong women. Both of these books have a lot of strong women in them, strong women characters. And this is part love triangle, part story of survival, a story of a war, and and what it's like to live through that tenuous where they're trying to appease the Japanese who are living there and have sort of taken over parts of their society. It has some slightly modern language, which takes you out of the story a little bit, but it also in some ways helps it be very readable because it's a pretty dense book. In all, it's a very fully fledged portrait of this woman's life. And it's not just her life. There is the people who were important to her are have their moments to tell the story. But in all, I think it mostly focuses on what it was like to be a woman during those times. And then I have a book called Other Birds by Sarah Addison Allen. I don't know any of her other work. I think she does more romance type novels. And this one was part ghost story, part romance it takes place in, I think, a fictitious South Carolina island. And it has these really magical, believable, well, I don't know. I can believe in weird little birds. So like magical birds and interesting family ties and the sense of community. And I thought it was really sweet, which is not my usual you know, usually I'm reading about women who survive wars and have their feet yeah. bound. So this was a stretch. <laughs> but I liked having this lighter novel. I thought it was really well done. It had a sense of romance to it. And I believe that there's kind of a setup for a follow-on because our main characters were rather young. And the the flavor of this one was this girl who's ready to go off to college inherits her mother's condo in this super charming little, I don't know if it's like a set of apartments or, or that kind of thing. And then the cast of characters who also own apartments in this mm. enclave are like a pair of one really angry old sister and her other sister. And then a 30-something woman who has a lot of secrets and then a guy who's mourning his beloved adopted grandmother and just how they all come together. There's lots of good food references in this one. I always like that. And it was really sweet. It was a good way to end the my my book reading week. Cool. Quick read? Yeah, very quick read. Yeah. Especially after epic Korean history. Yeah, the other two was a lot more about the lack of food. <laughs> and so this one, to read about food is, it's interesting how that plays a role, you know, yeah. in the in the joy or and or the sorrow. So that that's my books for this week. Nice. 
All right. Bingo wrap up. Yeah, I got a blackout. I got a blackout. Yay. Yay. We're so awesome. Yeah, my final one was was making those cookies. And I did it on Labor Day on the very last day, even though that was the hottest day. Same. I made so pigs crazy. in a blanket on the hottest day. Buttercream on the hottest day. <laughs> which, to be fair, in my neighborhood, it never really got that hot, which was lucky. So it worked out. That was your was last just, square that you needed? That was my last square. That was all I needed. And I kept thinking, I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them, and then I just didn't. And shortbread and buttercream, neither of those take very long or are very complicated. It was great. After our last episode, I needed three. I needed a new project, which I had several going. I was just trying to see which one I was going to count. And it turned out to be a commission of a yellow bird, which is going to be a Hawaiian honey creeper. My make-ahead is a series that I'm working on that maybe will become a calendar. We'll see. Okay. I'm just supposed to start that one. And then my fun appetizers was my Labor Day. Hooray. Excellent. All right. Well, that's it for the bingo for this year. It's kind of sad. It's not like we stopped be, doing things. It'll be here again before you know it. This is true. And yeah, if anybody has any suggestions... For squares for next year, please let us know, just to keep it interesting. And congrats again to our winner. We have heard from Pilates Girl, so that prize pack should be going out very soon. And our other two winners hopefully have contacted Jennifer Lassonde to get their prizes. Uh, so get us your questions for our next episode 100. I'm just yeah, going to keep would, saying it like that. We would love to hear from you. <laughs> Great shock and awe. Yeah. But until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.